Hey, everybody. Welcome. It's so good to have you worshiping with us today at Crossroads Online. My name is Jason Wolliver. I'm the directing pastor here. Today, we are in week two of this Advent message series, He is Coming. And our scripture today is from the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Hear this reading from God's Word. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, come. Prince of Peace, come. Fill our hearts. Align us with you this season. Let us hear your words spoken to us and let us respond appropriately in the name of Jesus. Amen. So last week, we kicked off the season of Advent, which includes the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And as I shared, the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And during the season of Advent, we prepare to celebrate the fact that Jesus came the first time on Christmas, and also how he comes to us continually through the Word and the Spirit. But as we said last week, the first Sunday of Advent is set aside to remember and make sure that we are prepared for the second coming of Christ. So we look together at that wonderful passage of Scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, which tells about how when Christ returns, how he will raise the dead, and our loved ones who are with him in heaven will receive their glorious, imperishable bodies, and we who are alive, who are left, will also be transformed so that we have our imperishable, immortal bodies, and then we will meet him in the air and return with him to earth, where he will sit on his throne and usher in the new heaven and the new earth, where we will live with him in a place where there is no death, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And I hope that you've let the truths of that scripture and that wonderful thing we're looking forward to sink into your life and give you renewed hope. Well, the second two Sundays in Advent are historically set aside to focus on the ministry and the message of the crazy cousin of Jesus known as John the Baptist. 
If you remember the stories around the birth of Jesus, before the angel Gabriel went to the Virgin Mary to tell her that she was going to be supernaturally inseminated with the Messiah, Gabriel went and visited an elderly priest named Zechariah. And he told Zechariah that his elderly and barren wife Elizabeth was going to have a child in her old age. And he told Zechariah that this child would be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and that he would operate in the spirit and the power of Elijah, the great prophet from the Old Testament, and that his job would be to turn the hearts of people back to God to prepare for the revelation of God's Messiah to the people. And so then the scriptures tell us that young Mary and older Elizabeth were relatives. And so when Gabriel then would tell Mary that she was going to become pregnant with Jesus, he told her, and your, your cousin or your relative Elizabeth is also pregnant in her old age. And so she was already in her sixth month. So then Mary went to visit Elizabeth and hang out with her as they were kind of in this thing together. And then it all came to pass. Elizabeth gave birth to John. And six months later, Mary gave birth to Jesus. And after John the Baptist was born, we don't hear about him for another 30 years. And then the only thing we see about him is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 80, which tells us what he was up to. It says, the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. So our passage today from Matthew picks up with the public appearance of John the Baptist to Israel and his public ministry. And we see what that ministry was all about. He came and started calling people to repent of their sins and turn to God because the Messiah was about to be revealed. And the reason we look at John the Baptist's ministry during Advent is twofold. First, we look at John the Baptist's ministry because as John had the role of preparing people for the first appearance of Jesus in his first go-around of ministry, we are called to live in such a way that we help the world be prepared for the second coming of Jesus. But another reason is because of John's message, which was one of repentance. And traditionally, Advent is to be a season of repentance. The color of Advent is violet or purple, which symbolizes repentance and penitence. And so we often think of Advent as being a time of feasting and parties, but traditionally in the church calendar, it's a time of fasting and penitence, getting ready for the coming of Jesus again. So again, John's ministry and message all about repentance. His message is summarized in verse 2 where it says that he was preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word repent is not one that we use in most everyday conversations today, but it is a word of great biblical importance. The word translated repent is the word metanoeo, which literally means to change one's mind. But repentance in the Bible means much more than changing your mind as we think of changing your mind. The ancients believed that repentance involved your mind, your emotions, and your will. Or as I like to say, repentance involves attitude, agony, and action. Repentance begins when we have a change of attitude 
about something we've been doing or a belief we've been holding about God or someone else. We see, oh my gosh, we were seeing it wrong. But with that change of attitude comes a feeling of agony or grief. We thought, oh, I've grieved God. I've been missing the mark. I've been living harmfully. But then it can't stop there. True repentance doesn't take place until there is a taking of action. It does no good to realize we were wrong and feel bad about it if we don't then change afterward. Now, this passage about John the Baptist's ministry actually reveals four very helpful steps of true repentance. And since that's what this season is really best used for in the life of a Christian, these are going to be very helpful for us as we look at our hearts and make sure that, you know, we're really ready to to consider and celebrate Jesus' birth for what it was, and also to make sure that we're living in such a way that we are helping others see Jesus and that we are ready for his second coming. So let's look at these four steps to true repentance we see here. The first step that we see is to turn back to God's word. It says in verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. John the Baptist was a man who found his purpose and his identity in the word of God. For sure, his father Zechariah would have communicated to him the word from God that he received from the angel about what John's role would be in salvation history. And John accepted it. John embodied the word of God in his life. The passage from Isaiah, which told about how John would come to preach in the wilderness and prepare the way for Jesus, is from Isaiah 40, verse 3. If you keep reading just a little further down in Isaiah 40, we come across these beautiful words. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Just as John built his life and identity on the word of God contained in the scripture, so must we. It's only through turning wholeheartedly to the Bible as the word of God that we'll ever be able to align with God's will and purpose for our lives. If we don't turn wholeheartedly to the Bible as the word of God, we're not even going to know what's wrong in our lives. God has given us the word to help us see how we need to continually repent and come more into sync with God's will. As Paul wrote about the scriptures in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he said, all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, the scripture, to prepare and equip his people for every good work. You know, too many times we Christians, we try too hard to fit in with the world. And what we need to be doing is fitting our lives into the word. We need to read the word every day, study the word diligently. We need to memorize the word continually. We need to meditate on the word when we're falling asleep at night and we're rising in the morning. We need to not look for loopholes in the word so that we can believe or do whatever we want, but we need to align ourselves with the word. True repentance begins with turning 
to the scriptures as the word of God that have authority over our life and our uh, practice. The second step to true repentance is to confess your sins wholeheartedly. Look at verse 5. It says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to John. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. When the people saw John living out and preaching the word of God, they were convicted in their heart. And so they realized they had been in error and they began confessing and turning to God, marking their their repentance with baptism. Now, one of the primary words translated confess in the New Testament is the word homo logeo. And it's a compound word. Homo means same and lego means to speak. To confess our sins is to speak the same about our sins that God is speaking about them. God's word reveals to us where we're off base in our attitudes and our actions. When we confess, we say, we agree with you, God. We were wrong. We're done running from it. We are sorry we were wrong. You are right, not us, but we want to make it right. The opposite of confessing our sins is denying them. When we argue back to the word of God, saying that we know better, we're speaking against God, not agreeing with God. So the scriptures say that we need to confess our sins regularly. Think of the Lord's Prayer, the daily prayer for the Christians. We pray, give us this day our daily bread and then forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We all need to confess regularly. That's why we always pause and confess when we take communion together. We're called to examine our hearts before we participate in the Lord's table. And when we do confess, we stop arguing and start agreeing with God about the areas where we need to turn to him. God is gracious to forgive us based on the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. As it says in 1 John chapter 1 verses 8 and 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Advent is a time when we look at our lives and our hearts and we ask God to show us where we're mirroring the world rather than the word. And when God shows us, we confess, we agree with him earnestly. In this Advent season, we may have all kinds of different things that we need to confess based on our habits or the attitudes of our hearts or our speech. We may need to confess that our priorities have been off and we've not been honoring the Lord through prioritizing worship. We may need to confess pride or arrogance we've been holding on to. We may need to confess negative speech that we've spoken about others or that we are speaking continually. We may need to confess secret habits that only God and us know. We need to confess that we need help with addictions like gambling or alcohol or drugs. We may need to confess unforgiveness that we've been harboring against a brother or sister in Christ. And when we confess, it realigns us into agreement with God. It allows us to receive fresh grace, and it also allows us to begin to rebuild a clear conscience. As it says in Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. The third step to true repentance 
and this is significant, we have to change our ways permanently. We have to begin to live differently. Look at what it says in verse 7. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come into his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the recognized religious leaders or elite of the day. The two parties had great theological differences, but they both represented themselves on the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, kind of like Republicans and Democrats do today in the different areas. And so these two groups both felt threatened by John and later by Jesus. And these two groups worked together despite their differences to conspire and have Jesus put to death. And so here John seems very skeptical at these people showing up to his baptism. Maybe some came for pure motives because they wanted to repent and turn to God, but most were coming because they wanted to investigate him, this man that was draining the cities, the people were coming to and repenting, and they wanted to try to catch him in his words, find something to accuse him of or use against him, the same tactic they used on Jesus. But John boldly tells them that they also need to repent and to repent hard. He specifically calls them out on their presumption. They were presumptuous. They thought because of their lineage and because of their status that they didn't have anything they needed to repent of. That it was the other people who were sinners, but not them. And John called them out hard. He said, you're bearing the wrong kind of fruit in your lives. You need to repent because judgment is coming for all people. And I like the way that the New Living Translation phrases verse 8. It says, prove by the way you live that you have repented and turned to God. In the end, the genuineness of repentance is only proven if we live differently. Sometimes we boast of great changes that we've made in our lives when we just made them a few days ago or a few weeks ago. In actuality, we don't know if a person's truly changed until much further down the line. True repentance always results in a change of direction over the long haul. So what's something that you need to stop doing right now and never go back to? Or what is something that you need to start doing right now and never stop doing. There might be something you need to stop doing because your life is headed toward a cliff. And if you don't stop, you're going to die early. You're going to hurt people. There may be something you need to start doing that God is calling you to do. And if you don't do it, you'll never experience what he's calling you to do and the impact he's calling you to make. Whatever it is, do it today. Start today. There always has to be a day of decision if we're going to make positive change in our lives. It might as well be today. It won't get easier if you go further in the direction of doing the wrong thing or not doing the right thing. It won't get easier in a week. It won't get easier in a year. But if God is showing you to do something, to change in some way, act on it today and then put a system in place to help you to continue to act on it over the long haul. 
And the great news is, if you decide to amend some aspect of your life today and keep at it next Advent, you'll be enjoying the fruit of that decision. The fruit doesn't come the next day. The fruit comes after you sow the right kind of seeds through a couple of seasons of life. And then we bear fruit. We prove by the way we live that we really have turned to God and are living differently. And it's never too late to start doing the right thing. The final step to true repentance, which can't be neglected, is we have to rely on the Holy Spirit's power. Look at verse 11 again. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John's ministry was a preparatory ministry. John isn't or wasn't the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. And he said, when Messiah comes, he's not just going to dip you in water. He's going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit of God. He's going to bring about that day that the prophets spoke of, when God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And that was Jesus. And so when Jesus came, he didn't just come to die for our sins so we could have eternal life. He came to fill us with the Holy Spirit, baptize us in the power of God so that we could live abundantly here and now and be a part of the same ministry that he started on this earth so that we can really change on the inside so that by that spirit, God can do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or imagine in us, through us, and among us. And so maybe you've tried to change your ways many times on your own only to fall back into the same destructive habits or attitudes. And maybe you even hate yourself because you feel like you're a failure. You can't change. And Satan is holding you stuck in that lie. It's not true. The truth is that no one can change and turn to God and live differently on their own. But we're not expected to. The scriptures actually say in Romans chapter 5, while we were still powerless Christ died for us. If we could have turned from our sin and lived for God on our own, we wouldn't need Jesus, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. No, but while we were powerless, Christ died for us. So that if we put our faith in him, he not only forgives us and adopts us, but he fills us with the power of God. And as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that God gives us a spirit, not of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Whereas we were powerless through the Holy Spirit, we now have power and love and self-control. And so maybe today is the day that you turn wholeheartedly to Jesus. Not just see that you're wrong in Samaria and think, yeah, I probably ought to do something about that. But you actually have the change of attitude and the appropriate feeling of agony and you take action. You confess You commit to living differently and you ask the Holy Spirit to flood you with new life and power. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. God, none of us is stuck in sin or negativity or powerlessness because you came and filled us with the power of God. God, I pray that you'd help all of us to see hope, hope to change, hope to become all that you created us to become. 
so that we can prove by the way that we live that we really have repented and turned to God. And now we pray that prayer that unites us with all believers of all times as we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us declare together what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.